0: The heart is often recognized and regarded as the core place of physical and spiritual being. It has represented the central wisdom of feeling as opposed to the head wisdom of reason. The heart is compassion and understanding. It's life-giving and complex, and of course, it's a symbol of love. The heart also carries with it a sense of intellect and understanding, as well as nuances of the soul, and along with it come things like will, and courage. I haven't any courage at all. So how did this concept of the heart come to be? I started thinking about this concept we call the heart. I wanted to know why it's been the symbol for all of these things since basically forever. So I asked my friend Rob. Hey. Hey, man. Hey. I asked Rob, hi, we should make a video about the heart. He said, yeah, man, that could be fun. This week's pretty open. So we got to work. So we started at the place that all great research starts, the internet. We found so much historical content about the heart, and most of it at first was purely physiological or medical. It wasn't until we started researching the heart as a symbol that things really began to get interesting and make a lot more sense. You see, the Egyptians thought that the heart was actually a person's soul or ib. The Chinese character for the heart actually looks like an illustrated image of an anatomical heart. And later the word xing, which in Chinese metaphorically means mind, intention, and core was formed. The oldest Sanskrit text, the Rigveda, talks about the heart, but really it means the seat of the mind and the soul. It's both anatomical as well as metaphorical and spiritual. The heart also played a role in the ancient Aztec system of belief. The most common form of human sacrifice at that time practiced by the Aztecs was heart extraction. You know the film. The expression of a broken heart is a cross-cultural reference to grief for a lost one or an unfulfilled romantic love. Well, as it turns out, just about every major civilization around the world pretty much believed the exact same thing. Not only that, but their corresponding religions held those beliefs as well. It seemed that no matter where we looked, we kept coming back to this idea that the metaphorical heart and mind were intrinsically connected and somehow seemingly always linked. That's right about the time our friend Cliff told us about the Hebrew word lev. And as it turns out, the Israelites didn't even have a word for brain. They simply believed that all intellectual activity took place in the heart. So we reached out to our good friends at the Bible Project and asked them if they could help us out in this area. They agreed to let us use one of their videos.
1: For thousands of years, every morning and evening, Jewish people have prayed these well-known words as a way of expressing their devotion to God. They're called the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. And as for you, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your strength. We're going to look at the fourth key word in this prayer, heart, which in Hebrew is sometimes pronounced levav, or more often in a shorter form, Lev. Now, different cultures throughout history have had different conceptions of how the human body works, and this is also true of the ancient Israelite writers of the Bible. They knew that the heart was an organ in the chest that sustains life. There's mention of a heart attack in the Bible, Naval, whose heart died inside of him and he became like stone. But the biblical authors talk about the heart in many other ways that might seem strange to modern readers, and that's because these Israelites had no concept of the brain or any word for it. They imagine that all of a human's intellectual activity takes place in the heart. For example, you know with your heart in the Bible. Your heart is where you understand and make connections. In the book of Proverbs, wisdom dwells in the heart. And your heart is what you use to discern between truth and error, like Solomon did when he was king. So the heart is where you think and make sense of the world, and it's where you do more. In the Bible, the heart is where you feel emotions. You feel pain in your heart, like Hannah did when she couldn't have any children. In fact, the phrase, a broken heart, comes from ancient biblical Hebrew. You also experience fear in your heart. Your heart can melt or be distressed. Your heart can even be depressed. But then, on the flip side, your heart is where you experience joy. In Hebrew, to be happy is to be good of heart, or to have a heart of joy. So the heart is the generator of physical life. It's also the center of your intellectual and emotional life. And there's more. In biblical Hebrew, the heart is where you make choices motivated by your desires. So David had it in his heart to build a temple for God. Your heart is where your affections are centered. They're called the desires of your heart. And if you really want something and go after it, it's like what Nathan said to David, whatever's in your heart, go and do it. So then in the Bible, the heart is the center of all parts of human existence, as in the well-known Proverb, guard your heart because from it flows your whole life. Now, the prophet Jeremiah believed that the human heart was fundamentally broken. He said, the heart of a human is deceitful above all, irreversibly sick. Who can even understand it? He had watched a whole generation turn away from God. They started sacrificing their children as if that were a good thing. So this is why, in the imagination of the Hebrew prophets, the only hope for humanity is the total renewal of the human heart. Moses predicted that if Israel was ever going to love their God, their heart would need to be circumcised, which is a very vivid and surprising metaphor about removing evil and stubbornness from the human heart. David, after he committed murder and adultery, pleads with God to create in me a pure heart. The prophet Ezekiel hoped for a day when God would remove the heart of stone and give his people a new heart of soft flesh, which is very similar to Jeremiah's hope that God would write the commands of the Torah on the hearts of his people. And that brings us all the way back to the Shema. Every day, God's people are called to devote to God their whole body and mind, their feelings and their desires, their future and their failures. This is what it means to love the Lord your God with all of your heart.
2: Anyone learn anything new? Pretty cool. Some of you guys, I, I would encourage you, if you're not familiar with the Bible Project, go on their YouTube page. They have tons of videos similar to that. Even that one has like five parts to it, as you saw. But if I'd encourage you, if you ever want information, context on biblical uh, scripture, on books, I recommend the Bible Project. And I love what we're talking about today and jumping into in this series is the idea a little bit of our heart and our minds being connected. And I truly believe when that happens, transformation happens. That I really believe we live in a culture that we are intellectually driven, which nothing's wrong with that, but sometimes we can neglect our emotions and our feelings in that process, and I believe something beautiful happens as our emotions are actually in line with the truth of what we believe, and so I'm going to pray that wherever you're at today, that's going to happen for us, so Jesus, I just I just thank you uh, for each and every person you have in this room today, God, that we're all here for a purpose and a reason, and I pray that intellectually, God, we'd be open um, to understanding you in a new way, that in our hearts, we would be open to believing and seeing you in a fresh way, God, that you would align us today in truth and we would be transformed, that we would see you clearly, and that your presence and your Holy Spirit would lead us into all truth today. It's in the mighty name of Jesus we pray, amen. Amen. And so I have a question as we, as we talk about this, when we look at this, have any of you guys ever felt like you have been disconnected from your heart, that almost what you're believing in your mind is actually, feels much different than what you're believing, or your actions contradict the very things you're speaking with your words. And I, I know for me, I, many of you guys know, I grew up playing football most of my life, and if you don't know me, my name's Cody, but most of my life, I grew up playing football, and there was this common expression I remember my coaches always saying to me, and it was this, pain is weakness leaving the body. And what they were inferring is like your emotions are actually not good. You need to suppress those so you can do what you need to do on the football field or in athletics. And it's kind of even, I think in our society, especially in the West, that we have come to this place where it's like emotions are okay, but in order to achieve what we need to achieve, sometimes we need to neglect those, we need to stuff those. If something bad happens, we need to move through it. And we actually really don't validate our pain in a lot of circumstances. And so I've been on this journey even in my own life. I grew up with two older brothers on my mom's side of the family who we usually hung out with. I was the youngest of 12 grandsons. And so I've been around Guys my whole life, I didn't know what an emotion was until I was about 22 and started dating my wife, okay? So I've been on this journey of, like, connecting to my heart a little bit. And, and what's interesting is we can actually shut down our heart, shut down our emotions a lot of times with our head or with our intellect. And it's interesting, I remember taking a course um, out in school in California, and we, we had this, like, quick little master class on connecting to your heart. And so in that class, they went through some symptoms and why it was good to connect to your heart. And it was really interesting. I was in the class like, oh, I think this is for me. And so maybe you'll feel like that a little bit today. And because here's the reality, when you connect to your heart, right, your heart is like the essence, it's the soul, your mind, will, and emotions of who you are, you are finding your true voice. It's who you are, and it's your voice with no pain and no wrong belief systems. And the process of uncovering the things in your life that have been covered up, right? That a lot of times will stuff our pain, and in doing so, we actually start shutting off who we truly are. So I decided to, like, WebMD our whole congregation with symptoms. Like, if you're doing these things, there's a good chance that you have been disconnected from your heart. And unlike WebMD, which I feel like every time I read it, I'm like, think I have a chronic illness, you won't think that at the end of this. And, and so here's the thing. Symptoms you have been disconnected from your heart and only living from your head is this. You have a hard time engaging with vulnerability in pain. That also can be seen sometimes like there's humor, but there's sometimes if any, if I have any friends people in here, Chandler Bing, every time there's something vulnerable going on, it's like. I have to make a joke because I can't enter into this vulnerable conversation, right? At the same time, you might have a hard time engaging with play and joy. You desperately need rules and structures to keep you safe. If you need God to be ruler and punisher, then you probably are ruling and punishing your heart. You're communicating something different with your words than your behavior. You believe rules are safer than love logically painful things don't bother you. It's funny. I've talked to guys before and they're like, I feel like I should be crying, but I just don't know why I'm not. Um, I've, I've heard someone say that even they're like, I saw the birth of my son. And I'm like, this is the most emotional moment of my life. And I just feel like I can't engage with the emotions within that you feel lost and without passion. The first step of finding your dreams and passions is connecting to your heart. It's connecting to yourself. And so the reality is if you're disconnected from your heart, you might be disconnected from who you truly are. And what's interesting is we live in a culture where when we experience pain, when we experience negative emotions, instead of a lot of times of dealing with them or taking the time to mourn, we put an expiration date on our pain. And instead of going to our pain, we just avoid it. And we avoid that maybe with sin habits, whether it's pornography, whether it's not dealing with it. It could be habitual, like, overspending and shopping. It could be becoming workaholic. It could be social media. It could be Netflix binging. But we actually create medication, right, to not deal with our pain. And so we kind of just stuff our pain. And within that, another symptom is, like, you're really disconnected from your heart. You'll stuff your pain, and then you'll have, your pain will become a pressure cooker, right? It's like, you don't know what's there, but then something will happen in this fit of rage or this anger will come out of you. And it's almost like, where did that come from? It might mean you're suppressing a lot of emotions in your life. And so even when I meet with people, a common conversation that we have is we'll ask this question, well, tell me the first time you started disconnecting from your heart. And we'll actually have a prayer of saying, God, in your truth, can you show me when is the first time I disconnected from who you made me to be? And I really believe as we align our head and our heart, transformation starts to happen. And it's interesting, even in the idea of transformation like with a butterfly, right? You have this caterpillar, cocoon, butterfly. But in the cocoon, right, it's kind of this illustration of this darkness, right? And this stage of metamorphosis, it's actually going into the darkness. And I really believe it's an illustration in our life. A lot of times the place of purpose, the place of restoring Yourself to wholeness is actually the place of going into your darkness, going into your pain box, going into your pressure cooker, and really starting to investigate and deal with your pain. And so the reality is all of us want to be transformed, right? I know that's when I meet with people in my own life, we all want to be transformed. It's actually the mission statement at Kensington is what? To see everyone transformed and mobilized by Jesus. And so actually transformation, I looked it up. What is transformation? It's a thorough or dramatic change in form or appearance. It says in physics, it's the induced or spontaneous change of one element into another by a nuclear Process, And so I was thinking of that like when you enter into a relationship with Jesus, there should be this transformation, right, that is so traumatic in change of appearance and form or this nuclear process, this spontaneous collision of your life with Jesus, that transformation starts to happen like never before. And so even with what I do for a living and all of us, I think we're looking, what is the process of transformation? How do I bring transformation to my life, and it's interesting for me, I was a marketing major up at Central Michigan University, fire up chips, and uh, any, any? I'll tell you what, taking over. The Harvard of the Midwest. I heard that's what people are called. I'm just kidding. Uh, so So I remember there, but as a marketing major, right, like every selling point of any project is what? It's transformation. Like, I'm going on a diet, why? Because I want my body to transform. I'm selling you this car because I want to meet this inherent need. You want to be a family person. You want to live a good legacy. You want safety. You want adventure. Buy this car. It will transform your life, right? Whether it's, it's clothing, right? For right now, man, I need some better golf clubs. It will transform my game. I'm a great golfer. It's my clubs. That's the problem. You know what I mean? And it's interesting. Like Some of you guys know, my dad is the most avid movie watcher ever. And when he experiences a movie that transforms him and moves his heart, he usually talks about it on stage. He's like, he's an evangelist of Jesus, but I always joke that he's an evangelist of everything that he likes. And when you experience transformation, the natural tendency is to talk about that transformation. I even remember being on a mission trip in high school, driving back from Costa Rica, and I look over at my dad, he's watching a movie in an airplane, and there's just like tears streaming down his face. And I'm like, Man, what's he watching right now? It's like doing something. It's transforming him. And so I look over, and I find I'm like, what are you watching? He turns and he goes, it's this movie called Firehouse Dog. <laughs> I'm like, what is that? The premise of the movie, there was a dog that was a firehouse dog, lost its owner, ended up being taken in by a celebrity, became a celebrity dog in movies, and then he missed his owners in the firehouse, so he left and went back to them. but it transformed him. <laughs> and why do I joke about that? Because the reality is, you guys know, if you're on a diet you love, right? If you, if you experience something on transformation, you could go on Facebook, right? I, right now, I think I've bought like 15 different like sleeper suits for my, my baby because I'm just like, everyone's like, this is the one. And every time I try it, it's not working. Uh, <laughs> but the, you share, right? You share what transforms you. And I think it's even interesting in the church, and we we need to do this, and we say this, we're always like, share your faith, right? Like, go and invite someone. Bring someone to Easter, which is good. It's a great reminder. But the reality is, when you see a movie you love, like Avengers Endgame, I need to go see it. I might not see it for two years. I have a... Don't spoil it. Uh, Right? Transformation. They're excited. And what happens is, you go and share the things you love, right? No one gets on like in front of you at the end of the movie and say, so if you like this movie, why don't you guys bring your friends back next week and we'll see you back here. Why? Because when you love something, when it brings transformation, you naturally share it. I think oftentimes we're not sharing our faith and we're not inviting people into this journey with Jesus. Is Have we really experienced transformation in a way that is unrecognizable to your former life, to the way you are now? When people look at you and like, I don't, what happened like you should be on a diet someone's like you look so much different what happened tell me about the diet that people should see our life and jesus and be like man it's not a perfect life but there's something different about you there's a hope you're carrying there's a this transformation that's going on it's like let me tell you about the one that will transform your life let me tell you about jesus the greatest thing, the greatest person I have ever discovered. And so in this process of transformation, I really believe there's three steps. Obviously, there's more than that, and it can happen in different ways. But what I've seen in my life is there's three major steps of transformation. I'm going to give those to you guys today is this. The process of transformation, I believe, is this. One is confession, two is repentance, and three is transformation. And we're going to spend the rest of the day talking about what those things really are. That when we confess, I really believe we connect our mind to our heart. We're getting to the heart Of the issue that confession at its, I would say like its lowest form is, right? How we normally see it is like, man, I'm sorry I did this, God. I I did this. I messed up in this area. But I believe confession in its highest form is truth telling, right? It's being honest with God and others about what's going on in your heart. The definition of confession is the acknowledgement of belief. It's profession of one's faith. And I really believe transformation starts with confession because until you have confessed something, you admit that you have a problem. You admit that you're struggling in this area. You're honest with someone. Until you admit you have a problem, you're never gonna change. Until you admit and take responsibility for your life, you're never gonna change. I think prideful people rarely transform because they never admit when they have a problem. And so the reality is I really believe that confession is truth-telling. It's being honest. Right, It's being vulnerable and authentic with God, but also with the people that are around you. It's not just, God, I'm sorry I did this. It's getting to the root of the issue, not just the what, but the why. And so what I commonly do, if I'm meeting with someone, if any of you ever asked to meet with me, I'm going to tell you right now what we're going to do. I'm going to say, what's going on in your life? And someone shares a problem, this is going on in my marriage, this is you know, breakup or financial. And so then you want to know how you make the external, internal, is with one question. Wow, that sounds really hard. So tell me, how does that make you feel? Because this is just external, right? And we always wanna change this, but God actually wants to change something inside of us first. And as he changed something inside of us, it actually starts to change the world around us. And so it's interesting, man, you just went through a breakup. How, does, how do you feel? A lot of times, man, I'm just angry. Anger is a second emotion. Well, tell me why you're angry. Why, why are you getting anger? Tell me about that. I feel like I'm not good enough. I feel like I'm a mistake. I feel like no matter how hard I try, everyone always leaves me. I feel rejected. I feel broken. These are the true confessions, and then we get a little farther, because here's the reality. Everything you believe about yourself will show you what you believe about God. When you say, man, I just feel forgotten, you're also saying, I think God is distant, and he's not near. I think I'm a mistake. What are you also saying? I think God didn't make me the right way. I just think I'm too broken. What are you really saying? Man, I believe what's been done to me is greater than what God did for me. I just feel like I'm not good enough. I feel like I don't have any power. What is your confession, right? My weakness is actually greater than God's power in my life. And so every confession you have about yourself will show you what you really believe about God. Maybe you're struggling with a sin issue. What are we really saying? Man, I believe this thing is a better refuge and comfort than God is. And what's beautiful is you don't have to hide that. And especially for me, growing up in church, I know the right thing to say all the time. In small groups my whole life, even though I wasn't walk with Jesus, I could tell you the perfect answer. And we can intellectually give the perfect answer and violate the truth of what we believe in our heart. And so I would ask you that today. What is your belief about yourself? What is your belief about who you are or say about who you believe God is? Because what happens is a lot of times we shame negative emotions in the church, but I would say just like physical plane alerts us that we need to go to a doctor or we need prayer or we need to have some kind of interaction, when you experience negative emotions at a soul and spirit level, it's like your soul is telling you, I need help. Something is off and you can suppress that, but eventually it's just going to end up overtaking your life or it's going to come out in someone in a negative way. And I would say this, that your negative emotions will actually show you what's going on in your heart, even your positive emotions, right? I've heard it said like this, that every time you experience a negative emotion, it's like God is calling you on your phone and saying, I want to talk to you about that that your negative emotion should actually lead you into a place of connection. Man, why am I feeling negative right now? I just feel like there's no hope in my life. God's like, I wanna talk to you about that. I wanna talk to you about that. And so here's the truth. Your emotions might not align with truth, but they are still real. I think a lot of times in the church, we just shame emotions. God gave us emotions. They don't dictate our life. They don't rule our life, but you can't just suppress them and deny them. Otherwise, you're never dealing with your pain. You're never actually dealing with the heart issues. That are going on. And so asking that question and making the external, internal man, how am I really feeling? And going to God and confessing your truth to Him is powerful. I remember sitting down with one of my friends, I he's like one of the most faithful followers of Jesus I know, shares his faith all the time. I've been on the phone with him when he's at Chipotle, and I hear him, hey, Cody, hold on one second. And I hear him talk over the counter. Hey, you guys know Jesus loves you? Like, man, that guy's like bold. And so a year after I remember having a conversation, my buddy's going through this. He just felt some rejection, and he's, and he's hurting. And, and he finally just says to me in this place of brokenness, he goes, dude, if I'm really being honest with you, and my ears go poop because I'm like, honest, confession. He's confessing right now, even if he doesn't know it. And he says, if I'm being honest with you, I really don't like when I spend time with God. And I was like, well, that's really interesting, dude, because you do it a lot. And so I, I said to him, have you ever told, have you ever confessed that? To God, And he's like, no, I've never done that. And I said, well, next time you make time to spend, spend with the Lord, why don't you do that? And so a few weeks later, I grab him and I say, hey, man, did you do that? And he goes, dude, it changed my life. And I'm like, what happened? And it was interesting. I've talked to him since this time. We were at school at this point for nine months at a ministry school. And he said, beyond the teaching and all the experiences and knowledge they learned, this single moment was the defining moment of transformation in his life. And so I go, what happens? He said, I put this chair in the middle of the room. I went and sat there and I said, just like acting like in his imagination that God was right in front of him. And he just said this, God, if I'm being honest, I really don't like spending time with you. And so here's, here's the thing, you confess, but then you have to be renewed in the truth, right? It's almost like confession is getting out this venom or this yuck and then God speaks with his truth back. And it's like the antidote. And so he says, God, I don't really like spending time with you. And I'm like, well, what happened next, right? And he says to me, immediately in my mind, I had this thought come to my mind that I believe was from God. And I felt like the Lord said to me, that's because you always bring who you think I want you to be instead of just yourself. And he said, dude, I realized every time I feel like I need to perform for God's love. That's a confession. God, I believe you'll only love me if I'm, I live perfect. You know what the good news is? Jesus's love will meet you right where you're at. It's too good to leave you there. But he doesn't want you faking perfection. He just wants you raw. He just wants your whole heart in his hands. And as you give your heart to him, as you lay down your burdens, that's when transformation starts to happen. It says in James five sixteen therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective that the truth is on the other side of your confession is life change, is healing. There might be pain in the middle and there might be consequences, right? When you actually get the pain out or the secrets out. But I'm telling you, the fruit will be freedom. Through the pain is a promise. And when you care more about getting free than what people think about you, then you will get free. And there's this beauty in confession. And so there's this reality, right? God's asking us to be honest with him. And when we are denying, I said this, when I deny myself vul- vulnerability with God, I deny myself connection with him. When I deny myself vulnerability with others, I deny myself connection with them. It's kind of like this. if I've, I've said this before. If one of you came up to me and said, Cody, how are you doing? If I don't really know you, I'll be like, yeah, things are great. But if I had a true friend ask me how I was doing, if I was struggling in my heart and I wasn't honest with them, I am actually putting up a wall and saying, I don't want to connect with you how often do we do that with God? He wants your honest confession. He wants to connect with you. And until you do that, you're entering into a place of falsehood. And so what we commonly do, like I've done this in my life, right? Like, God, I surrender everything. I'll go anywhere in the world, whatever you want me to do. And it's a good confession, right? And then it's like the Lord's like, well, why don't you go love your neighbor? I said I'd go anywhere in the world, not to my neighbor. Why don't you forgive that person that hurt you. Well, I'll, I'll do anything, but not that thing. And so we're confessing something that's actually fault. where what we need to say is, God, I'm scared to share my faith. I'm scared to make a stand for you. And I believe if I do, nothing will change and you won't show up, right? I confess I care more about what people think about me than being obedient to you and making a stand. I confess, right, maybe if you believe this, that you're distant. I confess that you're angry at me and I, I really believe that you don't love me. Now we're starting to go somewhere. We're starting to connect with God and with others. And here's the newsflash. Some of you are like, you can't say that to God. He already knows what you're thinking. And he knows you better than you know yourself. And I really believe the Lord's like, oh my gosh, I know for 10 years you've been mad that I didn't come through the way you wanted me to. Can we talk about it? It's kind of like in a marriage, right? Like you're in a fight and it's just like, I'm not talking about it. Until you enter into a conversation, there will never be restoration. That's a good line right there until you enter into a conversation that will never be restoration. And so as we do that, I really believe the church and as a culture, you know what we need to do? We need to meet people where they're at. We don't shame them for their pain. It says that perfect love casts out all fear for fear has to do with punishment and people will not be vulnerable and share their junk and share their pain with you if they believe they will be punished for it. Even as parents, your your kids won't share with you their mistakes if they're going to get in trouble for it. But if you meet them where they're at, here's the truth. When someone loves you when you're good, it feels great. When someone loves you when you're at your worst, it will change your life. That's the gospel. While we were still sinners, God loved us. When we were in our mess, his grace was sufficient. He meets you right where you're at, and then he pulls you higher and says, come be a part of the journey, the adventure, and the life that I have For you. And so what do you need to confess? What's the conversation maybe that you've been putting off? Because here's the truth. It says the kindness of the Lord leads us to repentance. And in your place of confession, in your place of going into that pain, into that place, I actually get concerned when I meet people that go through really major trauma. And like the next week, they're just living their life like normal. I want to be like, you need to mourn. It's gonna come out somewhere. Like it concerns me when people are going through major pain. It's, it says, blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. There's a season for dancing and there's a season for mourning. Some of you need to know, you have permission to mourn. You don't have to be perfect all the time. And God will meet you even in your pain. And he will bring you new hope and the kindness of God will lead you to repentance. What, think of the most kind person you know in your life. God is about 20 times, infinite times, more kind. And that kindness, he will meet you where you're at, and you'll experience love and kindness there. And it says the kindness of God leads us to repentance, which is point number two, confession, honesty, truth-telling. And then that leads us to repentance. Repentance in the Greek, the word is metanoia. It means to change your mind. In In the Hebrew, it's teshuvah. It means to return to God. And so when God always says repent, for the kingdom of God is near, repent and turn to God, it's like saying man, I'm gonna change the way I think and my thoughts are gonna lead me back into the truth of God. That I would say this, repentance, if confession is telling your truth to God, repentance is receiving God's truth about us. That there's this place that you should confess your truth and exchange it for what? The truth, capital T, truth. Right, that you would get this yuckiness out, but you would receive light, you would receive truth. And what does it say in John eight thirty two and 31? It says, if you remain in my teaching, if you re- remain in my word, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And the word know, though, the, the word is gnosko. In the Greek, it meant this deep form of experiential knowledge and intimacy. It actually was a word that they used even for marriage and intercourse, that there's this heavy Word of connection that says, When you know me, when you experientially know me, the truth who is Jesus, you will be set free. Even Jesus goes on to say, This is eternal life, that you would know me. That eternal life isn't just going to heaven when we die, it's something right here and now. It's entering into a relationship with the eternal one, Jesus. And as we gnosco, know him intimately, as a friend, as a father, eternal life starts. And so that truth, right? It says in Romans 12, 2, do not conform to the pattern of this world the way the world thinks, right? Sometimes it's like the world thinks like if you have this thing, if you have this job, if you make this money, you will find life. Confess, God, I I think life's in that. Here's the truth. Life is in Jesus, the way, the truth, in the life. And your soul will find fulfillment and life in your relationship with Jesus. And he says, don't be conformed to the pattern of the world, but what? Be transformed, how? By the renewing, of your mind, then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So I enter in this place of confession. God, this is what I believe. You've forsaken me. You've abandoned me. Man, maybe you go in the word and it says, right, Matthew 28, I'll I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. I'll, I'll be with you always. You're never alone. Man, what good news. If you're confessing, God, I feel alone. He's like, I'm right here. If you're in the valley, he's right there with you. He's never left you. There's nothing you could do that would disqualify you. You don't have to work for his love, and you might believe it, but the truth is, he loves you, and that truth will set you free. Man, you mean, I don't have to be a slave to everyone's opinion. I don't have to go on social media and get my value from how many friends or how many likes I have. I don't have to get my value from my paycheck or the size of my house. Man, I get my value because I am rooted and established in the love of God. And from that place, I am set free. I'm liberated to be the person God made me to be. I don't have to seek your approval, but I bring myself fully everywhere I go because your approval doesn't define me. God's approval does. And so I remember for me, man, when I when I got released from the lions the first time, I remember thinking about this time and being in the parking lot and engaging my heart and being emotional, the rejection and feeling like a failure. That was my confession. Man, God, I feel like I... I don't know where you are right now. And I remember really praying through this and believing that in this time in my life, I started to believe this, God, I care more about my life than you do. You will not protect me. You will not provide for me. You will not take care of me. And what is the fruit of that life? It's anxiety, it's fear. I gotta control everything. I can't trust anyone. And so I remember a few years later praying through it and the, this truth set me free. I confess that to God, man, I feel like God, I care more. And I felt like he said, Cody, I care more about your life than you do. Look at your life. You didn't pick your parents, I picked them. You didn't pick your wife, I chose her for you. And he started going through all these places in my life where he opened the door. Isn't that such a good truth, man? You know, God cares more about your life than you do. He cares more about you than you do. He cares more about your family, more about the lost, more about revival. And so our prayers are not so much, God, please show up, please move. It's God, I know you're here. And your presence. I want to walk with you. Show me how. The one of infinite wisdom. Let me tap in through your spirit to your mind. Jesus, show me how. And this belief, it will change your emotion. You ever realize that? Like when I was growing up, we'd always skip school in the spring. It was awesome. And we'd go to Cedar Point. And when i wake up, it was like Christmas morning. It's like you have this expectation and this hope and you wake up and you're like, man, this is going to be awesome. And at the same, on the other side of the coin, during Christmas, I feel bad saying this, but my, uh, my dad's mom, my grandma on, on that side, we'd always go visit her at Christmas, and it was, like, not fun being, like, 12 years old. So we'd always be like, do we have to go visit grandma? And my parents would always say, they'd be like, this could be the last Christmas that you ever see her. And so we'd go. Isn't that terrible? <laughs> we went there about 10 Christmases. But I remember my emotions were like, Ugh. But when you have the hope of God in front of you, right? This truth that sets you free, it's like, man, you mean there's grace for today and there's hope for tomorrow, there's salvation on the horizon, there's resurrection power available. God, you wanna bring reconciliation to my family and I don't have to beg you to do it, I just, God, show me how. And when it doesn't happen in one day, you're like, God, I know you're faithful, you're gonna gonna show up, I wanna walk with you through this. But you bring your confession to him, he restores you in truth. And that reality, even in my own life, man, he knows every hair on your head. He's seen every tear that you cry. When you weep, he weeps with you. He cares about you. He loves you. He says he's alive within us. He's for us. If that's not just a confession with our head, it's a belief in our heart and this alignment happens. Transformation is real. And you know what happens? If you're in the valley, he's there with you and you can rest. You walk through the valley of the shadow of death, right? The Lord your God will be your shepherd. His rod and his staff, he will comfort you. You think he's distant, you can confess that, but here's the truth, he's right there with you. And that truth will set you free, it will change your life. And you can come just as you are and it will not disqualify. He will meet you there and he will lift your head and he will call you his own. He will call you son, he will call you daughter. And nothing, your past, Nothing can disqualify you from what Jesus has for you. And that truth is step three, right? When you know that truth, you know, experientially, not just intellectually, it will transform you. Step three is this transformation, confession, repentance, transformation. I define transformation as this it's the byproduct of merging your life, your pain, your heart, all of who you are with the truth. And the truth is Jesus. And as you collide with him, the old becomes new, the broken becomes whole, your unrighteousness, he covers it and calls you righteous, holy and blameless. And as I break down this last scripture, I'm gonna, I'm gonna actually invite the, the ushers to come down as we're ending today, we're gonna receive the offering. And I thought this, even in the sense of offering, you know what your confession could be? God, I don't want to. More than that, when you ask me to, I don't think you're ever gonna show up even if I do give. What I found, many of you have found this, when I give, man, it, not only does it change me, the Lord always provides even when I think I'm giving too much. And that truth, that reality that he'll provide for you, it starts to change your life. That truth that this money is not your own, he's just letting you steward it, that will change your life. So I'd encourage you give as the pouch comes by. If you wanna give um, through text, you can follow the prompt on the screen. You can get out your phone right now. But there's this beautiful story. My my dad had this point on Easter, and it was this, your denials don't disqualify you. And so many of you guys know the story of Peter in Scripture he's one of Jesus' closest friends and followers. And in the story, Peter's the guy, if you know, he's always like the first one to jump out, the first one to speak, kind of puts his foot in his mouth a little bit because he's so just like zealous, passionate. And so most of the times, Jesus would be like, you're all gonna deny me. And Peter's like, Lord, even if everyone else denies you, I will never deny you right? There's this confession. He's like, even if everyone else fails you, I won't fail you. I will not leave you. I will not forsake you. And many of you guys know, as we will learn before Easter, Jesus is crucified and Peter denies him not once, but three times. He denies him. What happened? That his confession didn't actually match his heart posture. Maybe he was saying something that He didn't fully believe. Maybe he was being a little false in what he was saying. So after the resurrection, Jesus comes around, and you can imagine Peter's like, man, how's the Lord gonna feel about me? I denied him, and there's this story in John 21 where Jesus and the disciples are out fishing, doing what they did before Jesus was there. Maybe some of you, man, you started following Jesus. Something hard happened in your life, whether you believe God let you down or you believe something you did has separated you from God, and instead of following the plan he has for your life, you're just doing the thing you did before you met him. And I firmly believe this story is like, you don't need to go back to the old thing. Jesus is inviting you into the thing he's always made you for. It says this in John 21, Jesus is on the beach. He calls out to Peter and the disciples says, Peter jumps out of the boat and they start eating fish on the shore. And then Jesus restores Peter. And it's interesting how it happens. It says in verse 15, it says, when they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? It's interesting, there's three Greek words for love, and two of those, one is agape. Many of us know it's unconditional, sacrificial, I'll lay my life down for you kind of love. The second one is phileo, which is like, I love you like a friend. Not quite as sacrificial and deep as agape, but I still love you, we're just just friends. And so when Jesus says, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He says, Simon, do you agape love me? Just like you said, you said you'd lay your life down to me. Do you really agape love me? Do you love me so much that you would lay your life down for me? It's interesting, Peter says this. He says, yes, Lord, he said, you know that I phileo love you. Lord says, do you agape love me, Peter? He says, he can't say I I still agape love you because his actions just disproved it. And so he finally enters this place to this honest confession. What does he say? I just phileo love you. I know I said I agape love you. I just phileo love you. And Jesus says this. It's interesting. He says, feed my lambs. He says, I know. I've always known that. And I even knew it so much. I told you, you deny me. But from your place of honest confession, Peter is actually commissioned into his destiny. It says again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you agape love me? Would you lay your life down for me? Peter answered, yes, Lord, you know that I Phileo. Again, he says, I love you like a friend. And Jesus said, take care of my sheep. It's verse 17, the third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, he says this time, do you phileo love me? It says, Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time. And I think Peter also realized Jesus knows. And it says, he said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. And it was almost like the first time Peter confessed, this is how I really feel. And the Lord commissions him. He's like, Peter, I've known all along. And he sees the Lord now in a new way, the repentance moment. Man, this is the God who meets me where I'm at. That shows grace when I deny him. That meets me and forgives me. And then the transformation happens. Why? Peter has the chance later on in his life. Many know Peter's story. He actually ended up dying, being crucified like the Lord. He didn't see himself as worthy to be crucified like Jesus. So his death ended in him being crucified upside down. You know what kind of love that is? It's agape. And when Jesus met him right where he was at, it transformed him to be the man who he was supposed to be. From his confession came a commissioning to a new life. And so I would encourage each and every one of you with this truth and this reality. Psalm 139, 24, David wrote this, Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in your way everlasting that each and every one of us this week, you'd sit down with the Lord and just say, God, search me. Bring your confession to him, bring your conversation to him and let him restore you. Because here's the truth, your denials don't disqualify you. Your darkness doesn't destroy you, right? Your doubts don't define you, but you are defined by the love of God and who he says you are. And I don't know where you're at in this room today, but the father's arms are open wide and he is near, he is in the valley And as you believe that with every part of who you are, as your head aligns with your heart, it will bring transformation. But I invite each and every one of you, just as the Lord says to you today, come, all you who are weary and burdened, I'll give you rest. I'll walk with you. You're in pain, man, I'll meet you in your pain. I'll bring healing to your pain. And so as we end today, we're, we're going to sing a song about that, saying, God, you're the king of my heart. And as you sing it, I hope you verbally express, God, I'm coming to you. I'm coming to you with my heart. And so as we do that, I'm going to invite you guys to stand. I'm going to pray for us as, as we go into that moment. So, God, I pray that truth right now, God. I pray your healing power. We thank you that it's available, that it's here today, God. And I pray that people, God even as we sing, would hear your voice, Jesus, that you'd bring healing to hearts, Father God, that people would feel permission in this place and know that they are loved just as they are. They are not judged, that they belong here, that God has a plan for them. And so I pray that... God, your love would wipe away fear, and your love would wipe away guilt, and your love would wipe away shame, and that we would be restored in an authentic, real relationship with you, that our head and our heart would match, but you'd bring healing to hearts right now in a supernatural way, God, that transformation would happen as we collide with the truth of who you are, Jesus. We love you, and it's in your name we pray. Amen.